Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden from the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in lovely Cape Town, South Africa. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon. And、uh, I'd also like to issue a a, a welcome, Kobus, because it's been a, a a big week for us on our Facebook page, and so we've gone from seventeen thousand followers to now almost thirty thousand followers. So a very very warm welcome to all of our new followers at facebook.com/slash/china. Africa project where we're having a number of fantastic debates going on. Our colleague Anne Sherman in Beijing moderates the debates there, posts up all the topics, and helps keep things moving along. One、uh, and one of the benefits of participating on our Facebook page is that you can actually make it onto the show if you've got a good idea, and that's exactly how we found、uh, Jakob Emil Hansen from、uh, the University of Aarhus in Denmark. And Jakob、uh, contacted us through through Facebook, had some great ideas on different story topics, and then let us know that he was heading down for some field research to Uganda. And we said, when you get back, you got to come on the show. So Jakob, welcome to the China Africa podcast. Thank you very much. And Jakob is joining us on the line from the University of Aarhus in Aarhus, Denmark. So、uh, we're thrilled to have him on on the show today. We're gonna since Jakob is with us and he proposed a couple of different ideas for topics. We're gonna focus on Uganda today and really East Africa. But two of our three topics are on Uganda. It's a country we haven't dedicated an enormous amount of attention to. So we're thrilled to be able to focus on uh, first uh, a really sensitive issue, and this is a, a one that's very very important and touches on a number of different issues. It's It's the Kampala Entebbe Expressway project. This is a half a billion dollar highway that links two of Uganda's biggest cities, and it is being financed largely through an Exim Bank loan from、uh, from China.、Uh, we'll talk about the politics of that and a little bit about some of the、uh, the crazy talk coming out of President、uh, Museveni as well. So we'll we'll hear from that as well.、Uh, second topic is we're going to move on. We're going to stay in Uganda and pick up one of our favorite issues. But this is Jakob's expertise here、uh, and talk. About Uganda-Chinese media relations and China media in Africa, something that Kobus、uh, and I talk quite regularly about. And there's some news this week as well from the China Daily, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of address、uh, that. And then finally, we're going to get on the very very sensitive issue, particularly for a lot of people in East Africa, is the quality of made in China goods, as highlighted by cell phones and the problem the problem that seems to be growing、uh, in Kenya and in Uganda about counterfeit cell phones and how that's really just pissing off so many. People and really framing the broader "Made in China" brand for so many African consumers. So those are our three topics today.、Uh, Kobus, let's get started right away、uh, with the Kampala Entebbe Expressway project. This is another one of these massive infrastructure projects that we've seen all across the continent.、Uh, it's a half a billion dollars, three hundred and fifty million dollars of that budget is being financed by China's Exim Bank. That Exim Bank, of course, is the same bank that we talked about three or four shows ago. That now outlends the World Bank in Africa、uh, and the IMF as well. So this is an incredibly important bank. This is what it's doing on the ground. Tell us a little bit more about this、uh, this project, and then we're going to get some analysis from Jakob. So this this expressway is、um, it's going to be about fifty kilometers, a little bit more,、um, and it's going to be the the second longest kind of you know major expressway in East Africa after a big one in Ethiopia. And、um, it was largely、um, financed by the, the Chinese Exim Bank,、um, and according to the deal,、um, you know, kind of they had to choose a Chinese、uh, contractor to build it. So what they ended they ended up choosing.、Um, 
the CCCC, like where, what's the name? The Chinese Communications and Construction Co- Company, right. um, which is a, you know, kind of big construction company that has also built other um, highway projects in the same region. Um, and, but the interesting thing is that they then, that they then got a, um, a British uh, project manager um, to oversee the whole thing. So I, f- I found that kind of a very interesting detail. Another thing that I found weird and that I don't really understand is that it's for 50 kilometers of highway. It contains like 15 overpasses, 15 underpasses, two marsh bridges, and so on. It seems like a very complicated project. Well, we'll get so to that. So I actually wanted to ask Jakob about what he thought. Why Why so many bridges? Okay, so before we get to that, Jakob, because that's a very important point I wanted to get to, I wanted to ask you a question about Cobus's earlier points, though, about the presence of all these foreign contractors. So the Chinese are obviously foreigners. The project manager is British, as, as Cobus kind of pointed out. How is this project being received uh, in Uganda? As far as, as I, the people I talked to, at least, uh, seems like they're very thrilled about the, about the, such a big project being being built in uh, Uganda. Like uh, you have to think about the the, the road network in Uganda is often being criticized for being like very bad. Usually, many Ugandans they uh, compare themselves to, for example, the road network in Rwanda, which uh, seemingly is like uh, much uh, more developed than Uganda. So it seems like to uh, to be uh, big excitement about it and uh, to think that the uh, Cobus came into like that uh, it will go through some protected area is not something that has filled uh, any uh, as, as far as I have uh, uh, been following the media so it's not uh, so these these these, these the, the underpasses and the overpasses were designed as far as I know to alleviate concerns that the, the the highway is going through some protected areas and some very sensitive marshlands and some very sensitive wildlife migratory uh, regions. And this is something that's been of great concern in the West, particularly among environmentalists. I've seen on Facebook a number of campaigns trying to pressure the Ugandan government and the Chinese governments to reevaluate this project. But from what you're saying on the ground, there isn't any of that. It's like build the road and that's the most important thing. Yeah, like, uh, for example, there's, uh, the, between uh, Uganda and, uh, and Tepe, like, they're very often, like, a big traffic jam, and uh, this, uh, according to Uganda National Roads Authority uh, report on, on this, uh, on this road uh, project, uh, this, uh, this project will, will reduce the time from one and a half hour to a half hour, and uh, it will uh, apparently also, like, uh, almost... Uh, uh, the, the traffic jam will almost disappear, as, as according to the report. And so, in, in this way, uh, it's a big. Uh, it seems like very positive uh, against it. And also, like many point out, people I talk to is like they're very thrilled with it. It's, it's going to be Chinese who can build it because when the Chinese are building it, they know it's also going to happen. Uh, like because they have a lot of experience that the big project is going to be built, but then they never really live up to what they had expected before. You know, Kobus, this is interesting what what Jakob's saying because I think it highlights one of the key differences between the Western agenda in in, not only in Africa, but particularly in Africa, where you know issues like issues like wildlife, but also we've talked about governance and civil society and transparency. You know, and the Chinese and a lot of the African not only African leaders but also the African populations are far more practical where you know what, if you know some gazelles don't make it through their migratory pattern, that's fine because you know, getting a road between Entebbe and Kampala is far more important to enhancing the quality of life. We see this over and over and over again that the two, it's, you know, Venus and Mars. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think I think you're really right. You know, kind of it's I think in a way, um one one thing that um, that African governments find very valuable about ex- about working with the Chinese is that the Chinese um, don't have uh, automatic expectations of what an African state is like. You know, kind of that they don't immediately you know kind of expect they don't have certain preconditions about African states. They simply they simply think of of a state as a state. So a state needs an airport. They need a road from the airport to the middle of the city, um, and you know China is there to provide that. And I think that, you know, kind of kind of getting judged on the same criteria as any other country, not being seen as a special case, that I think is still is very valuable, particularly I think for African government. So oh. maybe more than African people. Okay, well let's talk a little bit about, you know, the politics of this road and, and it's raised some very interesting issues. Uh you know, the President Museveni, uh and I'm 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 quoting here from some articles from the New Vision newspaper, which is uh, a Ugandan newspaper, and uh, Museveni apparently hailed China for not tying its loan to conditionalities. This is the no strings attached that's so sensitive uh in, in the international aid can donor community. And unlike some donor countries who support he said he was bent on creating subservience instead of independence. Now, here's, here's where the crazy talk gets, and I love Museveni quotes here. And I'd like to first get, uh, Kobus, your response, then Jakob. Quote, Chinese support is not like a poor man's support. If a poor man gives you a cock, and I think he's talking about a rooster here, uh, he will always <laughs> remind you about it and expect you to thank him all the time. Uh, he urged Ugandans to emulate the discipline and patriotism of the Chinese, which he said had uh, catapulted it from third world to for, to a superpower uh, in, in less than a century. So obviously a lot of, of adoration from Museveni towards the Chinese. Um, you know, this is in some ways, this is, the, this is it, Kobus. This is what we've been hearing so much about why African governments, particularly some less democratic African governments, like to deal with the Chinese. They don't mess in your affairs. They do kind of respect... Uh, uh, you know the, the 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 dignity of internal affairs, and they don't have any expectations of reform, political or otherwise. It's also as an insult, as a kind of a like insult to Europe. It's it's such a multi layered kind of great insult, you know, kind of because it's not only not only are you kind of a, you know saying that Europe is a pain in the ass, but they're also a, a poor pain in the ass, you know. Um, so I mean, it's just it's just it's so funny. Well, it, it, here's another quote, and uh, he says, quote. In their country, referring to China, if you're caught stealing, they shoot you dead. If we did that here, we would have fewer thieves. Now, that, of course, is not true. In China, they don't shoot thieves dead. Um, they, they do have a pretty harsh legal system, but it is, it is not quite that harsh yet, you know. Jakob, what, you know, from your understanding of, of Uganda and the studies you're doing at the University of Aarhus and your program there, what, what's, what's behind Museveni's kind of point of view here? Well, I think you should. See that's like uh, Museveni. He's like the, he's like uh, you should not be underestimated. He's like very clever in, in, in a certain way, like uh, in balancing. And uh, and when you think about the, the timing of this, uh, you also have to look at what's happening with the donors uh, lately. Like there's been some uh, some uh, some uh, donation from uh, from European Union countries, and uh, where uh, where a lot of money went to. Uh, the prime minister office, which money which was supposed to go to northern Uganda, like northern Uganda, where there was civil war for a short time ago. So of course, it's a very different world in northern Uganda compared to Kampala. And those money were actually ended up being misused by people who worked in the prime minister office. So, uh, and the result of that has been that many of these uh, donors are now suspended their uh, foreign aid. I think it's around like 300 million dollars in total. 
So and of course that has that has put uh, put the M7 is government under huge pressure now. Uh, and there's been I read some uh, in the, the Independent, uh, uh, the Uganda magazine. They they were talking about uh, it might be like slowing the growth uh, in the coming year with the 0.7 percentage. So and also like the big concerns of of uh, of uh, like inflation that the inflation will grow now again. Yeah. A so uh, as, as I see it, it is like Museveni. He's trying to uh, put pressure on this European uh, countries that, like, okay, if you are playing hard, then we might also go more uh, towards the Chinese. Okay. And well, you also, also you saw it now and lately, Museveni was in Russia. Too, yeah. So. I was just going to say that he he, he recently re- visited Moscow, and this might be an indication that you know China and Russia uh, are the new kind of the new black for him, which is actually that was probably not the best metaphor, um, but nonetheless, it is the new fashion for for him to be able to offset the you know the the west and the the aid that has been cut uh, don't forget also that you know uganda was home to one of the only places in southern africa that was home to us troops um they were of course uh, us special forces were were deployed to uganda to as part of the uh, the the fight the 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 search for Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army. So he's had this, you know, he has this relationship with the United States that seems to be quite complex. On the one hand, there's several, there's rather close military relations, and on the other hand, the political issues are are very real for Western donors. And this, of course, is not an issue uh, for the Chinese. Kobus, let's give you the last word on this sub, on the on the, getting back to the highway. Um, do you, when you look at this, and, and again, this three hundred and fifty million dollar loan, and it's a loan. This is a loan that must be repaid um, at 2% interest back to Beijing. Um, do you look at this as an empowering thing, or is this burdening African states like Uganda with more huge debts that even at 2% will be difficult to repay? Well, look, I think, um, I think you know, kind of this, this level of debt is, is difficult to repay anyway. Um, but, of course, you know, you, Uganda recently, or a little while ago, discovered oil. Um, and one of the, the interesting things about uh, Museveni's position in Uganda at the moment is that he recently pushed through a, a law where it became where granting oil licenses actually is now his individual job, you know, kind of it, it's, it's now happening without kind of parliamentary oversight. Um, and so there are, um, you know, kind of these big um, international oil companies, including Total and Tolo, um, that's registered in the UK, and Sinook, who's obviously Chinese, are sitting around waiting to have their, their oil exploration plans uh, okayed. So, you know, I think Putting in this kind of road um, slots into the, the kind of bigger plans for Uganda, you know, kind of to get this oil, you know, kind of pumping and to, to, to grow the economy in that way. And also kind of obviously bigger plans for the whole of East Africa. Um, and, you know, in that sense, I can, I can imagine that probably taking a risk saying like, look, this is, a, this is a, a mountain of debt, but, you know, kind of having a road there is going to facilitate kind of oil exploration. And so it'll probably make it, the road will make it easier to pay the road back in the end. So Uganda is really a microcosm of so many of the key trends in China-Africa relations, infrastructure, labor, uh, 
politics, no strings attached, you know, internal, you know, minding, not, not interfering in the internal affairs of other countries, and now this issue that, that uh, Cobus brings up of natural resources and oil. Uh, one other point that we didn't talk about, of course, is that Uganda's um, relationship with its neighbor to the, uh, to the West, which, of course, is the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, and, and Uganda has been uh, accused of illicitly, uh, you know, funneling resources, namely diamonds that pass through uh, from from the Congo as well, and that's something that Chinese traders have been involved. Um, so that's something that we can pick up again in a future conversation. But Uganda is definitely uh, a country for us to watch and return to again uh, very soon. But let's stay in Uganda and kind of focus back on what Jakob what he did as part of his field research for his master's thesis uh, when he went down. He just recently returned from uh, from Kampala, where he's focusing on on Uganda. China media relations and and how the two countries are interacting on the media front. First, before we get started, Jakob, tell us a little about your research and and what specifically brought you to Uganda. Yeah, like I've been interested in the China Africa relations for around like now two years, and uh, and I have been reading some uh, reports uh, from, uh, for example, SEMA Center for International Media Assistance, where like focusing on the media training of uh, of African journalists in China. And uh, they were like quite critical, and uh, and there was some concerns of uh, like because uh, Chinese uh, uh, freedom of press is uh, not as as we know of like from from the Western world, of course. So uh, and and uh, for me, it seems like it was uh, there was lack of um, of uh, interviews of of uh, African journalists, and that's also something like that this uh, American. Uh, Scholar Deborah Brodingham also pointed out in the, like uh, on the remark of this report from SEMA. So therefore, I, I chose my topic about uh, about uh, China soft assistance to Uganda, where I used uh, Uganda as a as a case study. Uh, so I went to Uganda to uh, mainly to interview journalists from Uganda who has been participating in uh, in training program and study tours in China. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, what the Chinese are doing, and just to kind of provide a little bit of context here, what the Chinese are doing is they're taking a page out of the American playbook. Uh, in the United States, for many years, the State Department has uh, invited journalists from, from specific countries or regions to come on tours of the United States, and these are fact-finding tours. And interestingly, when I was a uh, when I was working in Los Angeles at a television station there, um, I often received the journalists that were coming and to kind of tell them about American media, tell them about our, our editorial standards and practices, and they got to meet people from the industry, they got to meet academics, government officials, and so it was really a, a wonderful fact-finding tour. China is now doing the same thing where it's paying uh, all expenses paid for African journalists to visit China and to learn more about it. Now, one of the concerns I have, Cobus, and this is your field of expertise as well, is that you get journalists who have a very limited knowledge of China and they have a very limited exposure to Chinese and Chinese politics. China offers them a, a wonderful round-trip ticket, uh, probably a nice four-star Beijing hotel, maybe maybe three-star, um, you know, gives them the the red carpet tour of, of the city. You know, introducing them to the you know Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, bringing them to to different you know corporate leaders and whatnot, and and they walk away thinking, "Wow, this is great." Um, and in some ways, the Chinese are achieving their objective by 
trying to persuade, I don't want to say influence, but, you know, trying to persuade that, you know, um, the China angle is um, doesn't necessarily need that level of criticism that it's received, you know, from other journalists. Does, does do the? Am I being too cynical and skeptical here? No, I tend to I tend to share your 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 view. You know, kind of my another concern for me is that I'm not sure with how much real information these journalists come away. You know, kind of like they they're taking on this whistle stop tour. They meet a bunch of people. Like to to which extent does that translate into any kind of real greater understanding? You know, it, like, like, what are they actually understanding better? You know, kind of after that week of like, you know, because the one tour that I was looking at, they they actually they're going to Shanghai, from Shanghai to Beijing to Guangzhou. You know, kind of it's it's like it's a week, it's four cities, meeting a bunch of people, lots of lots of having lots of pictures taken, and then they go home. So I'm not really sure what is really achieved in in you know in, in opening up real kind of great understanding of of the complexities. Well, let's put it to our uh, to our expert here, Jakob. You, you're hearing two kind of skeptical voices here about the value of these tours, not just, by the way, for the Chinese. I see that, you know, the Americans do these same tours, and I'm sure other countries do as well. But they don't do it for charity. They're doing it for a very strategic reason to try and influence the media. Um, is there some other value that we're missing from these kinds of uh, the, these, these junkets? Yeah, that, that was uh, my, my impression also was it and that was also something that many of these journalists pointed out that they were also very like knowledgeable about what uh, Chinese were like up to in their opinion or at least that's, that's how they said it like it was mainly a, a tool of diplomacy and uh, and and for me like I, I know like that there are many who have been uh, tendency to uh, maybe a little bit underestimate African journalists at least uh, and and in that way uh, for me it seems as the journalists I talked to, at least, were they were like quite uh, aware of that. It was mainly to try to give an improved image of of uh, China in Africa, and uh, and also uh, in in a way which I found interesting about this was like how much this uh, Chinese embassy are like uh, in over it in the picking process of uh, of the journalists, like where they mainly uh, pick high-ranked uh, people from the media. And uh, mainly from the state-owned media. Uh, for example, in the Uganda, you have a uh, UBC Nuvision. Nuvision is still like 61 percentage owned by uh, by the government. So it's usually uh, like after print media, they they are told to be like the mouthpiece for for Museveni. And uh, there was like it seemed like the, the big majority of of these journalists who went to China were like from UBC and Nuvision. While uh, the Alamante, of course, they're also uh, more or less, there's some, but for example, like Observer, who is, uh, who is uh, a, a weekly, uh, not a magazine, but a weekly newspaper, which are more like of investigative journalism, you can say, they had not got any invitation. China. Yeah. And um, I found that a bit interesting. Well, that, you know, I guess in some ways it's not entirely surprising that they wouldn't, they, you know, would invite, not invite actually, you know, an opposition newspaper, an opposition media as a whole. Um, but it does seem like, you know, it's reassuring to me, though, that at least the journalists went over there uh, knowing or at least having some idea that what the Chinese wanted to get out of it. And, you know, and I, I don't blame the journalists. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to see Beijing and to see Shanghai and to go. And, and you really can't understand it unless you see it. So in that sense, I think it's fantastic. I'm just kind of skeptical. Uh, one other thing that happened this week 
is the China Daily uh, released its first weekly edition in Africa. So now there's going to be a weekly uh, newspaper, you know, explicitly for the African continent published by China Daily. I think it's being published out of South Africa. Uh, but yet it's another indication that the Chinese are heavily investing in media I- in Africa. You know, Jakob, as part of your research there, did you get the sense that all of this money that the Chinese are spending from CCTV to book publishing to China Radio International and now China Daily with their weekly Africa edition, is it breaking through in the, the local media market to actually, you know, getting into people's hands and, and, and being read, listened to and watched? Uh, it seems like it's growing. Also, when you think about, uh, for example, Xinjiang News, uh, they have made now lately... Uh, Agreements with both New Vision and, of course, UBC for a longer time of like uh, delivering uh, like free news to them. I think for, for New Vision, as I got told, like uh, New uh, the Shinra, they they like uh, first they give it like for free for two months, and afterwards they have to pay like uh, to do with writers, but for a much much lower price. So in that way, uh, it seems like it is uh, growing in in, in the. In the, in the Uganda media, and also, especially from these journalists who have been in China, they, uh, they seem to me also like now, uh, for example, I read in the Daily Monitor, which is like one of the more critical uh, newspaper in Uganda. Uh, they were one of the journalists who have been in China, and he was like uh, putting very much of like this China, Europe uh, up against each other now, while the Europeans are, uh, the donors from Europe have been like suspended some of the aid. Uh, in that way, like they, they told, like uh, the message was all more like about that uh, now China probably is a bigger opportunity for Uganda. So it seems like uh, that there is a, a growing attention about about China in Uganda, and uh, for sure, like after this uh, Antepi Express, uh, Antepi Kampala Expressway will be built. Uh, that's absolutely something that will be noticed. Uh, you, you, so yeah, you know, Kobus, it, it seems like the, you know, from what we're hearing from Jakob, and this is some kind of on-the-ground observations, that the, the money may actually pay off in the end, and the hard work that the Chinese are doing to ingratiate themselves to, to local media, either through free gifts of wire services from Xinhua, or, uh, you know, just blanketing the continent with so much media that it makes it almost inevitable. Are you seeing this in your research as well at, uh, at the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, kind of, it's one of, one of the issues that I'm wondering about is, um, is that, you know, if you look at CCTV, they, 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 they're operating on a kind of a hybrid uh, economic model, you know, in the sense that, that part of their job is to, is, is all of these ideological things like correcting the, you know, kind of misperceptions of China and, you know, and, and kind of adding to the conversation, all these kind of very, kind of vague, uh, you know, kind of soft tasks they do, but they're also they're actually competing against Al Jazeera and BBC and so on. You know, kind of in in markets, and they have you know broadcast contracts and certain amounts of quo- of air quotas they have to fill, and and you know they they're, they're operating as a semi-commercial uh, you know kind of entity. So I think it's going to be very interesting to try and see like how much money is being made. Like how much, how how profitable all of this is, you know. It, it's it's probably going to take a few years to to realize because 
obviously, you know, uh, uh, an outfit like Xinhua is, you know, they can't give away content for free forever. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, depending, I, I, depending obviously on how deep the pockets of the, of, of, of the Chinese government remains, you know, kind of, but I think, you know, more and more they're going to have to see whether they're actually, any of this actually makes any commercial sense. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know if I agree with you there on that one, though. I mean, you know, kind of, they, they, if, if they can get a kind of a foothold in the African market, it might well make sense for them to, to expand even more. You know, but Co- I mean, that, that, that's, that's the issue that I'm wondering about. Yeah, Cobus, I don't know if I agree with you on that one in the sense that, you know, I think, listen, these are not commercial enterprises, you know, and this was the same at my, my former employer at France 24 in Paris. Um, they, they have no concept of what it means to make any money. This is, uh, they, their budgets come from the foreign ministries. They come from seemingly bottomless pits of money. Uh, from taxpayers, and I think that uh, so I, I'm skeptical that the Chinese uh, have any idea how to make money in these foreign markets. Setting up sales teams and, and building and selling off of ratings and competing with local media, uh, and competing with CNN and BBC to sell. It seems like uh, they don't have any ability to do that. You, um, so I'm I I agree with you on everything except the commercialization and the fact that you know do they have bottomless pits of money? They might. That's just just my thought. Yeah, no, I mean it, that, that that's so interesting, you know, among other reasons because their accounting is kept so so in the dark. It's yeah. so difficult to get really the information about like exactly what is being spent and who, who is spending it and who's paying for what. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know, kind of you. I think you're right. Probably you know, kind of in the sense that at the moment, the um, you know, they, they it's it's being they're just pumping out this money and they're just setting up this infrastructure and the the, the fact that they're setting it up is its own reward in a way. Um, but I was just, I'm just wondering how sustainable that is in the long run. You well, know, kind of um, because you know, obviously, you know, soft power is. I mean, it's important, but it's also so intangible that it's it's difficult to see. You know, kind of once you know, once China kind of moves into a new a new phase of economic development, it's difficult to see to which extent they're going to be. You know, how how valuable it's going to be in the long run. Yeah, and one also has to wonder that as the Chinese economy continues to slow. Um, and as China and their reserves continue to dwindle, and that's one very important point here, is that we always assume that the Chinese have you know trillions and trillions of dollars, when in fact, with the appreciation of the RMB, the value of their currency reserves is falling very, very quickly. So one has to think, is will this be put on the chopping block sooner than, than say, other programs? But, of course, we will not know until it actually happens. Uh, but, again, Kobus brought up a very interesting point here, which is the ultimate objective of all this media that's pouring into Africa, particularly into countries like Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania and East Africa, is designed to change the perception of, uh, of China in Africa and the Chinese in Africa. But it's interesting because no matter how much money the Chinese put in there uh, on, on official or unofficial basis, uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to an individual's experience with a Chinese brand, a Chinese product, a Chinese person. And in the case of, of, of for most people in South Africa and Southern Africa, and maybe across the continent, the way that they interact with the Chinese is by a mobile phone. Uh, the Chinese have been flooding the market with, with mobile phones, counterfeit and otherwise. And what we're seeing now out of Kenya in particular is growing opposition to the fact that these mobile phones are cheap, uh, they're counterfeit, they don't work, and they break down, and people are getting really pissed off. Um, Caixing, which is one of uh, China's really just most excellent editorial brands, uh, I r- totally recommend that you take uh, take a look at their website, English.com. 
Caixing. That's C A I X I N dot com. Uh, they ran a, a recent article saying mobile phones souring Africa's image of China, talking about how hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of phones that are coming into Kenya、uh, are really just again angering people to the point of protesting on the streets、uh, about the poor quality of these products.、Um, you saw Jakob when you were down in.、Uh, In Kampala, that the the mobile phones, the Chinese mobile phones in particular, are are quite universal. I mean, that they're they're everywhere, aren't they? And so this is something that really touches a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I saw, of course, like this、uh, this huge spread of of、uh, Chinese citizens in、uh, in general, and also for mobile phones. And、uh, from the people I talked to, like also from the journalists,、uh, for example, who have been in China, that they are like they were like. Quite、uh, after the trip, they were like, quite fascinated by the Chinese or that. But if they,、uh, for most of them, when they had to say something negative, it was always aimed to the products which which they get from、uh, from China. And,、uh, for example, about the mobile phones. So、uh, yeah, it, it seems something that is、uh, that people are aware of also in Uganda. Now, Kobus,、sure. Co- I'm going to say something that's rather politically incorrect, which seems to be more and more my role on this program.、Um, but you know what? It's like Yeah, you get what you pay for in this life, and if you're going to pay ten bucks for a phone, you're going to get a crappy phone.、Um, you're likely going to get a phone that doesn't work very well.、Um, so the fact that it works at all is quite a miracle.、Um, to me, it's kind of like, you know, they were talking about the prices of these phones, and they are about between ten and fifteen dollars. I mean, we can't really have an expectation that for ten or fifteen dollars you're going to get a viable phone. So, am I being unreasonable and kind of thinking? Well, what did people think? Yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, kind of like you, you know, you, it's it's the buyer beware. You know,、um, at the same time, what's what's very interesting is how is is you know the way that Saishin breaks down this economy is that you know one of the interesting things is that some people who start out in counterfeit phones then move on and kind of graduate onto selling legitimate phones. You know, and、um, so so it's very interesting to see how this is all a, a kind of a, a little.、Economy. Economy and how there's also a distinction being made between you know people who sell fake phones that they make clear are fake phones. So they they import all these phones from China and then they stick on the Nokia like kind of labels on them、um, and then but they sell them as fake Nokias and then、okay. they the, the the sellers of those fake Nokias then criticize people other people like smaller small time kind of dealers who come from China and go to rural parts of Kenya selling fake phones as real phones. And they're saying like, oh, these people are, you know, kind of are are cheating the the kind of poor Kenyans in in the rural areas. While we make clear that our fake phones are fake phones, you know. So it's just it's such a funny kind of like micro analysis of how this whole economy works. Sure, and of course the problems of made in China and the quality issues related to that are are not limited to phones. When we talked about Angola,、uh, we talked about how hospitals and clinics that the Chinese built were collapsing,、uh, you know, before even they were ever used.、Uh, we talked about in Ghana. Uh, where you know one of our guests, Cabuena, he mentioned the fact that he would rather not have the cheap Chinese roads because they would actually cause more accidents when when cracks appeared in them and they actually were taken over by the earth.、Um, so the quality of Chinese products and Chinese manufacturing. Um, is questioned not only in Kenya related to phones, but across the continent. This is one area. Now it's very in- interesting because in this article,、um, people don't often make the distinction between Chinese, you know, commercial sector and Chinese official political sector. So, Jakob, you know, we get to this question all the time of what can be done because at the end of the day. 
the fact that illegal Chinese phones are being imported into Africa uh, and into Kenya in particular, Uganda. Um, is that more about the Chinese who are, or any group that's importing illegal phones, be it drugs, people, prostitutes, you name it? Or is it about the weak enforcement and the weak regulatory structure within these countries that cannot maintain the customs controls that are required in order to actually have legitimate phones? I could, uh, I can imagine it must be it must be up to, up to the government also to like put higher standards and uh, and of, of course uh, that's also quite something that uh, seems to be uh, for me of, of the critique points of uh, from the people I talked to like that they they were. They also didn't. Uh, they didn't really. Uh, it seems like they appreciate appreciate very much like the investment in China. That, but of course, like with this, when it comes to uh, the products, they are probably could be better. But uh, but when the end of the day, it, it also comes to the government in Africa and Uganda uh, to uh, to put higher higher standards. Yeah, I guess. Kobus, well, go ahead. What's interesting for me is that um, is that now you know you find that you know there are these these uh, Chinese phone manufacturers that have actually moved to Africa and they're actually doing most of their work in Africa, and um, and they are now finding themselves getting pirated. You know, <laughs> so you find these Chinese phones that are now they're, they're finding pirated versions of their own phones in the market, and and they are now actually spearheading kind of working with with the the customs unions and so on and with the government in Kenya to actually try and, and, and kind of get new kind of enforcement mechanisms. So I think it's, it's, it might be a phase, you know, kind of it, it might be, it might be a, a kind of a necessary phase that the economy then needs to move through in order to get better regulation and to, and to work, you know, better kind of connections between the manufacturers, the Chinese manufacturers and the, the African governments in order to actually, you know, get a way of doing, of enforcing this that actually works. You, you know, Kobe, we should bring up a good point about this being a phase too. I mean, as we've talked about on a number of occasions, you know, Africa moves up the income ladder into middle income country status. You know, middle class consumers obviously will not go out and buy a counterfeit phone. They will they will spend the money on a legitimate Samsung or a Huawei uh, or even, you know, increasingly an iPhone, um, you know, where it's affordable, uh, of course. But, you know, so so I think this also might be a phase just as, as certain African economies are, are moving up. And, and, and the first phase, is, of course, is to buy counterfeit. But now, you, you know, as incomes grow, they will be able to afford, uh, you know, the, the name brand phones or even legitimate phones. So the article is Mobile Phones Souring Africa's Image of China. It's at Saixing Online. Highly, highly recommended. We will be posting this on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Once again, a huge welcome to all of our new fans. We're so thrilled that you're participating with us and engaging with us. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us about different topics you want us to cover. Uh, if you if you're like Jakob and you want to propose uh, an idea, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, whether you're from the United States or from Europe or from Africa or China and you're interested in this topic and you're studying, if you're a student, in this case, Jakob is a master's candidate. So uh, we, we would love to hear from you. That's what the show is all about. That's what our Facebook page is all about. And uh, so, so, you know, really would love to hear from you. Jakob, uh, at the end of the show, what we try and do is kind of, you know, encourage our listeners to, to follow you. Do you have a presence on Twitter or, or any other social network that people can kind of stay on top of what you're doing? Uh, not on Twitter, but I'm, I have a Facebook. Okay. Uh, my name is uh, Jacob Emil Hansen. It's J-A-K-U-P. Uh, Emil is E-M-I-L. 
Hanson. It's H A N S T N. Okay, so that uh, follow Jakob on uh, or Jacob on on Facebook, and uh, of course, Kobus, you're on Twitter. Uh, where can people find you? I'm at Stadenesk. That's S T S T A D E N E S Q U E. And you can find me at E O Lander E O L A N D E R on Twitter. Uh, I'm tweeting almost every day on the latest headlines on China and Africa. Uh, so think of it kind of like a wire service of sorts. And uh, and of course, I'm on the Facebook page as well. And we said that was Facebook.com/slash/China Africa Project. And if you'd like to follow us uh, on our podcast, we're in all the right places. Uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher, uh, on SoundCloud, uh, and of course on iTunes. And we'd love for you to subscribe to us on iTunes because that does help with our visibility uh, in iTunes and among uh, to introduce us to new listeners and of course on Facebook as well. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. We'll be back again next Sunday with another edition of the China Africa podcast. 